Welcome back to The Good Play, a podcast about NBC's The Good Place. I'm Brianna, and with me on the line, she's too young to die and too old to eat off the kids' menu. It's my sister, Marissa. What a stupid age I am. I loved that. Oh, such a great episode to get into today. I am so excited. I, yes. I I think we watched it separately, but we were like texting the whole time. And <laughs> right, the, which was hard because I was running the I was running the Twitter account, so I was trying to like tweet and text you at the same time. Yes, what's our Twitter account, Marissa? At the Good Play Pod. All right. Guess and, what, guys? Guess what? What? Guess what, everybody? What happened? Darcy Carden liked one of my tweets. What? So pretty much, I think I've achieved everything I want to achieve with this podcast. We're going to shut down. We can quit. This is the last episode. (laughs) Darcy Carden, uh, as those of you who are listening, you have to know at this point, uh, Darcy Carden plays Janet, or as we heard her called in this episode, Busty Alexa. (laughs) I, I want to make a Down Easter Alexa joke, but let's just move on. <laughs> so, yes, we're this episode, like I said, we were texting each other. And at the end of it, I just texted Marissa and I said, what the fork just happened <laughs> in this episode? I mean, they just burned through so much, but we'll get into it. I think the writer, Megan Amram, I might be pronouncing her name wrong, but I want to say Megan Amram. Um, she is brilliant. Yes. Let's just put it that way. Yes. She's brilliant. I had heard of her. She has kind of, she's always had like a really famous Twitter account. And I've certainly, I've heard like, oh, she's going to be a guest on this radio show or this, that, the other thing. Um, but I'd never really taken the time to find out much about her. But now I feel like I have to go on a Megan Amram deep dive because this, because this episode was nuts. Megan Amram, if you want to come on the pod. <laughs> I, we'll- I, ooh, Okay. I would be a little starstruck, I feel like. <laughs> I would I would probably spend the hour before we podcasted, like, probably throwing up. <laughs> if that doesn't entice you, Megan Amram, I don't know what will. Please, we'd love to have you on the pod to talk about <laughs> this episode or any other topic you want, but we'd love to have you talk about The Good Place because you wrote an incredible episode. Yes, Mazel tov. Yes, to get to the structure of today's episode, we're going to recap Season 2, Episode 3, uh, and then we're going to go into our questions and maybe predictions for the next episode, although... Oh, why bother? Why bother? <laughs> um, the next bullet point on here is just, I wrote all caps, Shipper Wars, y'all, because I think this episode... We got to get it into demands, it. It demands. It demands Shipper Wars uh, discussion. I know. I agree. And then we've got uh, picking our favorite Megan Amram puns. So Megan Amram. There are literally a hundred to choose from. This would be a, the perfect segment for you to come on. We could just do this every week if you want. <laughs> and then we've got uh, questions from uh, our Facebook and from our friends. I watched it with a friend. So she's got a couple questions. And uh, then uh, we're going to go into spoiler space. So, Marissa, do you want to tackle this uh, this attempt at recapping this whirlwind episode? Uh, yeah, I did have to watch it twice once again to... Um, Me too. 
to to fully um, understand what was happening. So I, I feel I'm on less shaky ground after um, rewatch, but it still is. It's like standing in the middle of an exploding episode of a sitcom rather than just sort of watching a regular episode of a sitcom. Yeah. So, okay. We start on Michael and that reel-to-reel tape recorder that I thought might be so um, mysterious is not mysterious at all. It's simply the framing device for this episode. He is talking into his reel-to-reel about uh, temp number three, uh, and and we see attempt number three. Eleanor has the same, you know, fake hot mailman, fake soulmate. Tahani is mean to Eleanor at the welcome party. Eleanor calls her a mean giraffe, and the chaos sequence is just giraffes. Uh, Eleanor asks Janet for help becoming a more awesome and an amazing ethical person, even though obviously she already is if she's in the good place. Uh, right, and... because she can't admit... Obviously, to she can't admit to anyone, right? Yeah, and her really... her hot soulmate is off somewhere pretending to go, go to, to the, the gym. gym. <laughs> Just gonna go work out from twisting people. Um, on day, so we kind of see flashes of days through through this attempt number three, and on day one hundred and twenty eight. Michael is saying, oh, the, this mysterious obelisk knows that one of you is meant to go to the bad place. And, and they're all fighting about who's going to go in. And then Eleanor, you know, in a recapitulation of what we have already seen, it's, oh, this is the bad place. And then we fast forward to attempt number 11. Michael is talking into his reel-to-reel again. Pretty much the same thing happens. The way that Eleanor figures it out this time is pretty hilarious because his, her... Um, her soulmate is this kind of cute guy named Sebastian. He seems like a pretty normal dude. And then he tells her, I've written you a three-hour spoken word jazz opera about you. And he's like, Eleanor, my sweet dude, drop, bop a dop bop um, uh, Vicky is on the triangle. Yes. Michael, Michael is on the bass. And uh, Janet's and on Janet, Janet's on <laughs> And... 30 seconds in, approximately, Eleanor goes, no, 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 no. No version of heaven would ever include this runny one, ever. This is the bad place, you know, and then we get, um, then Ted Danson is trying to speak in sort of jazz slang. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't write it down, but it was something like, now we're all wet, daddy-o. It's like a long walk for some biscuits or something. <laughs> something completely un- unintelligible. Yes. Still trying to be in character in, in even <laughs> in though he's been found out yes. <laughs> that's dedication um we kind of see the attempt you know it's it's sort of um the cycling continues and it's kind of speeding up in an attempt 108 which is pretty great michael's talking into the reel to reel about how you know eleanor always figures out it's the bad place and then it turns out he left the door open and you know memory wiped eleanor is sitting out in the lobby and she kind of pokes her head in like um sorry did you say i'm in the bad place and he's like oh god right (laughs) let's try again and then it it really becomes sort of just like flickers of various attempts um trying different soulmates for eleanor um a bunch of different people including glenn tries to honey which i want to see that yes (laughs) speaking of shipper wars uh and a golden retriever we see Michael rebooting Janet a bunch of times, um, and he tells her, you know, every time I 
I restart. I have to reboot you. Can you just chill out? And she says, no, I can't. You know, I have to do this every time. You know, she claims to be pregnant with Michael's baby. She claims to have tickets to Hamilton and David Diggs is coming back. That was great. Meanwhile, the demons are getting more and more restless. Uh, attempt number 484. Michael is bearded, drunk, wearing sweatpants, claims to be gaining weight in his thighs. <laughs> Which is, I mean, Ted Danson is such like a slim and trim guy. It's yeah. kind of just, it's a little bit ridiculous. He says, you know, I'm still lying to Sean. He's, Sean still thinks I'm on attempt number two. It's really bad. Um, Eleanor's sitting there desk, sitting at his desk and he's like, oh, this one doesn't even count. We'll get to the puns later. We will uh, get to that, the puns. That we see because, again, we're flickering through, you know, just l- tiny little shots from the various attempts. And so we see a lot of the food-based puns, but we're going to talk about that later. Uh, attempt number 649, Jason is the one who figures out that they're in the bad place. I is... love this. <laughs> so amazing. Well, and his reasons for figuring out that it's the bad place is that the TV, ev- first of all, everybody's arguing. Yes. But second of all, that the TVs and the good place don't get NFL red zone. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Ted Danson's line reading here of Jason figured it out. Jason oh, this is a real low point. This one hurts. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not an actor. Please. (laughs) I I just need that as like a sound clip that I can play on. Yes. Attempt number 802 is sort of how we wrap up the episode. So everything from here on out is attempt number 802. Michael says, I think this might be the one that sticks. Um, You know, everybody's really miserable. Eleanor is taking these ethics lessons and she's not happy about it. Um, although the demons are all on strike, so the humans are kind of like, where is everybody? But they're, they're not that curious. Chidi is in the middle of teaching Eleanor, but she zones out, so they go for a walk. Um, in this version of The Good Place, there is a clam chowder fountain, which Ugh. is... I, I know, I almost threw up. I, <laughs> I watched... They put out a behind-the-scenes video where... Um, who's the actor for Chidi? William Jackson Harper, is yes, that right? Yes, we love him. Yes. This is your husband. You need to know who he is. Well, the fictional character is my husband. I I mean, this guy, I follow him on Twitter now, so he seems like a good guy. Yeah. It's harder to claim that a real person is your husband rather than a character. Sure. Um, they, they, he showed how they made this clam chowder fountain. It was like glycerin or something and like little pieces of foam. I mean, it was just unspeakable. Well, and the clam chowder is a callback to the first season where uh, when Demon Adam Scott, who still has yet to show up in this season, but when Demon Adam Scott uh, is taking Eleanor to the, quote, bad place uh, on the train, he says the the dining car only serves room temperature clam chowder. Good call. I had forgotten that. Yeah. So this is just, instead of insinuating that there's room temperature clam chowder somewhere, we're just going to put it in the middle of our town square to gross oh. everyone out. So unfortunate. So they're kind of hanging out there when Eleanor smells cigar smoke and they kind of peek around a corner and they see it's Glenn, right? Yeah. And then it's some woman that I don't remember ever seeing before. And they're just chattering like, uh, like this one's going to fail too. And Michael's just going to wipe their memories again. And what was wrong with the regular bad place? I liked impaling people. And then Todd, the lava monster wanders in. Um, They ask him for a light for, you know, their cigars. And so Eleanor and Chidi sort of obviously instantly know what's going on. And they run away with Janet. Um, Janet takes them on the train to the medium place. And they see Mindy Sinclair. Uh, She opens the door and says, you know, you guys have been here 15 times. So I don't know if this is the 15th time or the 16th time. 
but it's a lot of times. And she's really disappointed that once again, because they've been mind wiped, they again have not brought her any cocaine, which she is (laughs) super obsessed with. Mama needs her medicine. So, I mean, I think there is like a debate that you could have about what exactly a real medium place would be like, but it seems like chemical dependency is pretty bad placey. You know, like you would think that if they really, you know, got together, the good place and the bad place got together and sort of figured out what this medium place would be for Mindy St. Clair. I feel like the good place people should have put their foots down about her not actually still being addicted to cocaine. But, you know, okay, whatever. Well, I think I read this, you know, would probably get into our discussion section, but I think I read something about the medium place being based off of a Greek myth where... There's a a man who has been cursed to um, stand in a pool of water that he can't drink from and be just out of reach of a tree whose fruits that he can't eat. So I think it's... That doesn't feel very medium to me. (laughs) Well, it's like you could, I don't know, maybe you could see them, but you can't have them. Eleanor's idea of the medium place was Cincinnati and that's... That pretty much tracks for me. That feels, yeah. We'll get a little bit more into the medium place in our discussion, but yeah. continue along. So meanwhile, we cut back to Michael and we see that Vicky has sort of become the union rep for all of the Bad Place employees there. And there is a very long list of demands for um, all of her co-workers. She threatens to tell Sean if Michael doesn't follow through in meeting at least the demands that are able to be met. She wants so a bigger this- part. Well, I mean, a lot of people want a lot of things, right? Gunner wants to bite people. Yes. So that sort of sends Michael into a tailspin. Um, at Mindy Sinclair's medium place, she says, you know, I'll save you time and I will show you all of the plans that you have come up with every time that you've been here that obviously haven't worked because here you are back. Um, some of them have been, uh, you know, attack Michael, convince Michael that he's the one in the bad place. Uh, seduce Michael and quote catch that magic panda use her powers which was a Jason idea to which Mindy says that guy has no idea what's going on (laughs) he really doesn't we cut back to Michael he takes Jason sort of on a walk says hey you know you're actually in the bad place I just need to bounce some ideas off of you and tells him everything that's going on with you know this sort of employee uprising and you know lying to his boss back at the medium place chidi and eleanor are uh bickering in a in a in a heated way that i don't think we really saw in the first season you know correct me if i'm wrong but um you know they go out they're going at each other's throats pretty hard we saw we saw it in the episode where they're all stuck inside and that couple comes in one of them's a marriage counselor we saw it yeah i mean in that in fairness that was the reality where they were quote-unquote soulmates so it is a little different i found it pretty acerbic this time around yeah on the train he says i can't believe i ended up in the same afterlife as you and eleanor says i'm not thrilled either i mean it felt it felt a lot more cutting than they usually are with each other antagonistic yeah yes because they're not i mean when they were soulmates they were supposed to be on the same side of things and now because this is attempt 800 and whatever we don't really know. Two? Yeah, 802. We don't really know where their relationship is. Like, I mean, and it's fairly early on in the attempt. Because... That's right. He's on, he's on Aristotle when right. we see him. So, so that's early, early. And she's yeah. been ignoring him. So he's like, man, I'm trying to help you. And you're not really giving me anything here. And then all of a sudden they're 
thrust into the situation together. And I, I think at the beginning of the season one, he was sort of critical of her. Like, I don't think you're capable of change and that sort of thing. But she tries harder at the beginning. Yeah, that was more in the service of him sort of trying to decide whether he had an ethical obligation to report her. Right. Whereas this feels just sort of like kind of needless... Because now they know that they're in the bad place. There's obviously no ethical obligation to tell anybody anything. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That is a that is an important uh, difference here. Okay. So in any case, so Eleanor kind of slams the door on him, goes inside to, to bench to Mindy. Can you use bench as a verb? <laughs> We're going to do it. It's a bench to Mindy, Mindy about uh, Chidi. And she says, well, you know, let me cut you off. You guys have got it bad for each other. And she shows... Eleanor a videotape like an actual VHS tape I'm not sure how they got their hands because on Mindy's oh. in the 80s <laughs> yeah <laughs> where you see Eleanor and Chidi in bed with each other and she says essentially you know I don't know if we're going to get out of this but I just want to let you know that I love you and um I know it's hard for you to say your feelings so it's okay and then he says no no I love you too and then they realize that they're being spied on by Mindy, who has cut a hole in their wall and has taped them all of the times that they have been there and had sex, which has been 20 sexual encounters over the course of eight visits. So it seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean, and... <laughs> because Chidi doesn't always come with her to Mindy Sinclair. Right, right, right. So it seems like the majority of the times that he is with her, they end up falling into bed together. To which I was watching and I went, what? (laughs) Yeah, I know you're always rooting for male and female friends to just stay friends. We'll get there. We will get I feel like that's... (laughs) Yeah, let's put that off to Shipper Wars. (laughs) And meanwhile, Michael is talking to Jason about what are are his options. And Jason says, you know, I have a story to tell you uh, that, that is some wisdom. And Michael's like, well, I doubt it, but okay. And Jason tells the story of his dance crew, Dance Dance Resolution... Um, and his friend's rival dance crew, hashtag Doug Life, and <laughs> says that, you know, Dance Dance Resolution came together to slash the tires of hashtag Doug Life. And Michael says there's actually a pearl of wisdom in there. Um, and Jason's like, that must be why I'm in the good place. I love Pro- that. <laughs> proving so once again. Yeah, proving once again he has no idea what's going on. I will also just interject here that that's another callback to season one where um, Jason is sitting in on one of the ethics lessons and he says, oh, that reminds me of a time where I framed my friend. Yeah, it was utilitarianism. Utilitarianism. I framed my girlfriend's, or I framed my friend's girlfriend uh, for boogie board theft. And so this was Doug, his friend, started a rival dance crew after they got into a fight about Jason uh, framing said girlfriend for boogie board theft. <laughs> nice. So the writers are really just like they've got a they've got a show bible. Yes, for sure. they do. They do. So the end of the episode is the four humans in Eleanor's house. Michael comes with. Sorry, the, it's the three humans in Eleanor's house. Michael comes with Jason. Jason kind of goes over to the humans. Eleanor says, "You know, no more lies. You know, we know what you're up to and." We keep figuring this out over and over again. So it's time for you to realize that we're the ones with all the power. And Michael says, we're totally on the same page. Uh, I need a new dance crew. Uh, What do you guys say? New best friends? And the episode just ends with Eleanor going, wait, what? 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 (laughs) And that is the episode. That's the end. Kudos to the writers for 
Megan Amram. Yes, for just cramming my new girl so much into basically 21 minutes. Pretty much everything we thought was going to happen over the course of a season, a full season. just happened in that episode. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I was re-listening to our last episode uh, in preparation for this one, and we did talk a lot about, uh, you know, where we think the demons are going to fall in this, and uh, and I remember you saying, you know, they don't like this, they'd rather be impaling people or setting them on fire or twisting them in half, so maybe we'll get some people who revolt, and in this episode, all of them have... And, you know, we just we talked about a whole bunch of stuff that we were sort of thinking would be played out throughout the course of a season. And they really were just like, it's like they listened to us and then they were like, oh, we're just going to do that all in in episode three and get it all out of the way. I mean, obviously not. Right. They they video they um, they filmed these episodes a really long time ago. Well, don't ruin my fantasy. okay? (laughs) I like to imagine the world in which you could film that episode, which was so complex and required so many um, costume and set changes, the world where you could film that in three or four days. Yes. Well, I mean, if you've got if you've got the power to just reboot everyone, then, you know, it might be pretty easy. Easy peasy. Where do you want to start? Discussions, questions, <sighs> predictions? Should we even try? I don't even know at this point. <laughs> no, I say no predictions. No predictions. This, this show has completely broken our ability to, like, foresee any narrative. So let's just accept that we have no idea what's going to actually happen. That's and fair. just let go. Let go of trying to know. Uh, I don't know. You want to play Shipper Wars? <laughs> do I ever. <laughs> let's do it. All right. You go first because I got a lot of, I got a lot of I know. feelings so- here. I know you and I are often on opposite sides of this divide because I am very like, oh, I love it when people get together. Like I was that sort of 13 year old who like really wanted, yeah, I'm dating myself, but whatever. That 13 year old who really wanted Mulder and Scully to get together and was like very invested in it. I cared a lot about who got together in, you know, Harry Potter, you know, basically the West Wing, name any fictional product that is of any like reasonable quality and I like have an opinion about who should hook up. <laughs> um, and I tend to gravitate towards sort of like the first uh, relationship sort of glomming onto that. I don't know why, but I, I do tend to, um, I do tend to go that way. So I was, should I, okay, was I rooting for Eleanor and Chidi to get together? I don't know, honestly. This show had been, it had it had not positioned itself sort of at all to have any romantic entanglements, really, because these people were just sort of fighting for their lives. <laughs> They're dead. They were sort of fighting, fighting for, for their, their afterlives, for their afterlives, for their souls, for their eternities. Um, none of them. Now, I know there was this whole thing at the end of season one about, I think I love you, I don't love you. But that seemed like it was kind of buying time for everybody involved. And it was sort of kicked off sort of by Vicky yeah. as well, and a also, way to make Chidi miserable. Yeah, I was going to say it's par- it was part of the torture. You look back on it now and you, I-, I can't tell watching rewatching episodes at the end of the first season whether or not some of that is genuine or all of it was cooked up as a part of you know, torturing these humans. It's really hard to know. Yeah. 
Now, if you had said of the characters that are on this show, which two would you have wanted to get together? I think I would have said Eleanor and Chidi. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that there is there is an ardent community of people who want Eleanor and Tahani to get together. I'm not mad at it. I <laughs> I have to say that I, I see why. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, Eleanor constantly makes remarks about how beautiful Tahani is, which she objectively she is. She's gorgeous. But I think personality-wise, I just don't see how that works. Tahani is so is such a social climber, and she's so... And it's not saying that she can't change or anything, but she's so status-obsessed, and, she, you know, her entire world is sort of acting in this way that Eleanor finds just absolutely unbearable. Well, and I also think that Tahani and Eleanor, both in their own ways, are incredibly selfish, at, at least in season yes. one. Mm-hmm. And so they bring that out in each other, whereas with the relationship between Chidi and Eleanor, she's selfish, he is more selfless, and he's also more thoughtful about how to interact with other people, so that brings out the best in in her. So I think is that, that may be what you're reacting to when you say personality-wise. Emily Nussbaum's um, New Yorker article at the end of season one very much made it out to be a love story between Eleanor and Chidi, specifically keying in on the line that Eleanor says almost right before their mind wiped about, you know, I was dropped in a cave and you were my flashlight. Saying that that is sort of a quintessentially romantic line, which I can't really disagree with. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. And she, I don't know. And she does say at the end, you know, when she says, like, it's been real, she said, that's how I end all my major relationships. That's right. So I do think, and he says, oh, yeah, that tracks. Which is, you know, it, there's no doubt that they are intimate, but, like, close by the end of season one, whatever that means for people. Yes, and it's reasonable to assume that they kind of achieve that intimacy over and over again, which we have video evidence of now. Yeah, I mean, now it's like a new level <laughs> of intimacy. I have, to, I have to say, though, I'm not getting too attached to this pairing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very vulnerable when it comes to shipping, and I don't, <laughs> I don't like to have my heart broken. Um, and I am very much not getting attached to this because it... First of all, Eleanor didn't seem thrilled by the revelation. Mm. She really seemed to fight against it. So it remains to be seen whether she's actually going to want to um, pursue this. But she took the videotape with her, if you remember. That's a good point. So, so if they are going to stay in attempt 802, which it seems like they're going to, at least for one more episode. <laughs> I know we said we're not getting into the prediction game, but... Um, we're at least going to start seem- there. Yeah, Um it seems like it's only a matter of time before somebody else sees this videotape. I don't know who. I don't know if that means Chidi or Tahani. Or maybe Jason thinks it's a football highlight reel. <laughs> or maybe he just I, really loves Cannonball Run too, which is the VHS that was... I think she took it without the jacket. Okay. <laughs> but um, the fact that she takes it, I think, is significant. I think it's going to come up again. I, I don't know. I'm a big. I'm just a big question mark over this. Because I really am not in favor of... Uh, shipping Eleanor and Tahani, which is sort of the other um, couple that people kind of want to see to get together, as I said. But I worry that that having burnt through that plot point sort of so quickly 
in season two that they are not planning to use it as a long-term um, contrivance. Well, this kind of, before I get to my own like personal opinions, this did bring up a question for me as I was watching it initially, which is, you know, I know in season one, we use flashbacks a lot to see different parts of all of our protagonists' life lives on Earth and, and also some of Michael's inner life here. But here, because we're blowing past, I mean, hu- literally hundreds of iterations that we didn't even see. We talked about in our opening episode, are they going to use the flashbacks again? And I, for me, one of my biggest questions is, are we going to see cut, t- cuts of time, uh, cuts of attempts where they are not as combative with one another and they do fall in love. Are we going to, at some point in this season or another season, just have a stretch of a few episodes where we get to see them basically fall in love with each other? Which I think would be really interesting because I think part of the reason why I know I'm up in the air about it as well is that it doesn't really feel earned right now Mm. uh at least at this point in the season it felt earned at the end of season one because we saw them go through all of this together for 13 episodes and at the end of it they felt like they had a real bond this time we see them in bed together and i was just as shocked as eleanor was because our memories don't have any like our memories have been wiped too essentially (laughs) you know we don't (laughs) like her memory has been wiped and we don't have any memory of them ever really falling in love or having any sort of physical intimacy before. So I think that's, I'd be interested to see that, to see if that changes anybody's opinions. It's complicated. And I'm usually the first one on the, on the shipper boat, you know, but the, the shipper ship, that's why (laughs) it is a ship, right? I'm usually the first one on the ship. (laughs) The shipper boat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm usually like, you know, I'm, I'm right behind the captain. I'm tooting the horn. Um, And I, I, like you said, I want to see, I don't want Eleanor to have seen this video and then be like, well, you know, and then to sort of make decisions based off of that, I would want to see her sort of organically come closer to this person who, you know, Chidi is a is clearly far and away, no holds barred, the best of the four of them. She should be so lucky. <laughs> she should be so lucky to be with my husband. Yes. In your library, reading your books. <laughs> I don't know if Eleanor's ever going to be a real book reader. Her favorite book is Kendall Gender's Instagram feed. <laughs> That's right. So I'm so I'm so thrown off by this development, but in a good way. You know, yeah. I like how they keep us on our toes. Um, I want to see what they do with this, um, but I don't have I don't have a lot to say except that like I'm really not in the Tahani and Eleanor camp. You know, I just. Although I know people, because they did do one attempt where Tahani was Eleanor's soulmate, and a lot of people were complaining that they wanted to actually see that attempt. We may. We may see it. I mean, you never know. Also, I am sure that if you want to see that attempt, dear listeners, go on some fan fiction site and just type in your preferred (laughs) pairing, and I'm sure it is already up there. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let that lie. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to talk about um, how long how long they've been in the bad place at this point? Well, that's well. Before we get to that, I do want to just put in my 
two cents about the oh, Shipper Wars. Oh, pardon. No, pardon. no. Listen, it's it's it all. Well, part of it all melds together, right? How long they've been in the bad place is part of how they develop their relationships. How long do each of these iterations last? I mean, are there iterations where the first day they show up, they're in bed together because Michael tells them something different about their backgrounds, right? Uh, Or are there iterations where they've lived for years as just friends or years as a romantic pairing? I don't know. I'm really interested to see. I... My gut feeling is no. The attempt number three, they made it through about six months, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a little bit less. And I kind of feel like they did not make it any longer than that in any of the attempts. That's Mm. just my, that's, that's my read on it. And it's not based on much of anything. But my read on it is that we're not talking about, oh, you know, one of these attempts lasted for 10 years or something. Yeah. But it is, I mean, even if... Even if a hundred of the attempts lasted for six months each, right? That's, I think, Mindy Sinclair says to her, uh, says to Eleanor when they're talking, um, you know, you guys have known each other for a long time. Because Eleanor sees this video and freaks out and says, we just met each other. What are you talking about? No, you've known each other for a long time. So... It does sort of raise the question as to what year it is in reality. That's a great question. I'd love if to know. If time progresses the same in the afterlife as it does in life, which is a big if that we have never actually gotten any read on. Yeah. Because we haven't gotten any read on like the actual real world and life since we have begun the show. Um, it could be like 2025 in on Earth. I mean, assuming... You know, that there hasn't been nuclear winter. Uh, <laughs> in which case, there I mean, there are a lot more people. There are a lot in... more crops of dead people that Michael could be attending to. So that opens up a whole other can of worms in terms of what's happening in the rest of the bad place while these four people are just being lightly tortured, <laughs> you know, for <laughs> lightly emotionally, emotionally tortured. tortured for all this time. Right. So I think that's a that's an open question. We do get one sense of what's happening in the real world, and that is that Jared from Subway is still alive, right? But he's because... fairly young. Yes. Yeah. So this is it hasn't been seventy years. <laughs> so it's not you know this is always one of the questions about Groundhog's Day, which I think is a movie that has a lot of resonance yeah. with this show at this point. Yeah. One of the questions about Groundhog's Day always is like, how long is Phil Connors actually in that loop? Yeah. And you will get, you know, people have done like data science on the actual finished product of the movie and made estimations based on that. Harold Ramis, who was the director, had his own sort of internal idea of how long Phil Connors had been uh, stuck on February 2nd. But it is one of those like recurring questions about any sort of narrative like this where you are stuck in some sort of timeless loop is like how much time has actually passed. And because it does change your perception i mean if you are watching groundhog's day and you know that phil connors is in the loop 10 years versus ten thousand years it does change your perception of of some of his behaviors which seem you know if he commits suicide multiple times as he does you know after he's been there for only a year or five years you kind of feel like you know that's a little bit ridiculous and if it's been ten thousand years you kind of feel like yeah i think i might act the same way yeah and similarly for this show 
you know, if some of these attempts have gone on for years, then um, some of the, certainly Eleanor and Sheedy falling in love, that behavior is really dependent on how long they've been together in that particular attempt. Yeah, what the circumstances were. Yeah, so my two cents on shipping. I, I'm i on either side of this. I gotta be honest, because uh, I, too, have couples that I ship very, very hard and I'm very into, and I am a sucker for... I think because of, you know... I'm trying to think of a single fictional pairing that you ship, and I cannot think of a one. Really? Yeah. Uh, I shipped but I Josh and Donna. You and I... Okay. You were like 12 at the time? <laughs> Maybe right? I got it from you. Yeah, I think that was not that was not a fully <laughs> autonomous decision. I'm saying, since, you know, since we both went off to college, say. Oh, that's tough. See, my, my thing is that I... Well, I'm a sucker for... Let's put it this way. I'm a sucker for, I, and I think this is because of uh, the sort of combative relationships that I'm drawn to. And maybe one of the reasons why I, my boyfriend in this version is Demon Adam Scott, uh, which I feel like one of these days, this is just going to turn into a therapy session about my, my relationships. But I'm a sucker for the kinds of relationships where they're sparring with each other verbally a lot. And, you know, the, the actually very appropriate for this show, the Sam and Diane, right? Oh, narrative. That's, yeah, that's funny. And um, I, I do like those. And I'm also a sucker for, you know, they've been friends for their whole lives and they've been dating other people. And then they realize that they're right for each other and all that. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. However, more often than not, uh, and this is because I have a, a best friend who is a guy and we have known each other since we were 12 years old and we lived together as roommates, as bros, basically for four years. Um, and everyone thought we were going to get together and we super didn't. And we, you know, we think of each other as bros and I think I'm always really interested in the question of can men and women really be friends? This is the When Harry Met Sally question, obviously, but can men and women really be friends without romance and sex getting in the way? That's obviously a much bigger question, but I'm always looking for examples in pop culture of men and women really being friends, being close, caring about one another, and not having it turn into a will-they-won't-they situation. So for for this pairing, I am on the side of them that I, I do want to see them develop a friendship because that's sort of what I got from season one. They're co-conspirators. They get along with each other. They, towards the end, respect each other. But... I didn't really see a lot of evidence that they were like really truly in love. I thought a lot of it was more about the circumstance that they were thrust into. Uh, I will just as a note say that my favorite bro pairing in popular culture, uh, I I think the one that I I cannot find a better version is Penny and Johnny from Dirty Dancing. They're the best. Okay. They love each they love each other, they care about each other, they've been friends their whole lives, and yet they are not together, but they have a really wonderful relationship that, you know, lasts past that summer, so they're riding off into the bro sunset together. 
So that's my. <laughs> so, listeners, if you have any examples of of bro relationships that you would like, Brianna is always on the lookout. I am for always male like, female friends. It's so without. It's yeah. so the examples. True examples are very thin on the ground in pop culture, and that happens a lot because I think, especially with sitcoms, and I wonder if this is going to happen here too. With sitcoms, you do have a lot of mixing and matching within your main characters. Um, yeah, How I Met Your Mother being the prime oh, example, which which you watched and I did Listen, not. don't even get me started on... I, I dedicated years of my life to that show, and then they ripped out my heart at the last minute. But that is a great example, right? Um, you know, you could argue in that scenario, and I won't really get into it because I know, Marissa, you haven't seen it, but uh, you could really argue that... And the amount of ink that has been spilled about that finale I'm, could have been better used covering literally anything uh, else. Well, it was important to some of us. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in that scenario, oftentimes what happens is that you have one character, a man or a woman who is partnered and they are allowed to be platonic friends with a single, single character of the opposite sex. Uh, but very, it, it's very rare that you see, um, two single, two bros. single bros, which is what my friend and I call each other. <laughs> Can we get off Shipper Wars? Because I, I, um, we've only got about 15 minutes got left. Got it. And I don't want to spend it all on, you know, will they or won't they? Although, can I just put this button on it? Yes. Should Shelley Long make a cameo appearance on The Good Place? Yes. Yes, yes she I should. Agree. She absolutely should. And <laughs> Shippers, if you want to tell us how you feel, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at, at The Good Play Pod or on Facebook in our group, The Good Play. Which has one member. Thanks, Ian. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Ian is the one who got me into the show in the first place, so I owe him big time. Because I got you into it, Brianna. So, so Ian is the catalyst for this all. By the transitive property, I owe By him the transitive property. Yes. yes, you do. Can we... I don't... So you have this question, you know, is Mindy Sinclair stuck in the 80s? I don't think she's stuck in the 80s. I think that her medium place was made in the 80s, and they... And she has been completely neglected by both the good and the bad place. Yeah, I agree with that. And so now I don't know why she still wears her pantsuit, except for us to remember that she was from the 80s. Because you could not pay me enough to wear a pantsuit every day in the afterlife for all eternity. I would be in sweatpants the minute I got there. Well, to be fair, it sounds like she spends the majority of her time naked. That's true. <laughs> Which is what honestly what I would be doing. Yeah, and I guess she doesn't have a Janet, so she can't actually conjure new clothing. So maybe that's all the clothes she has. Maybe that's what she died in, you know? Oh, that's macabre. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I will <laughs> say uh, that the Mindy Sinclair and the Medium Place, aside from being stuck in the 80s, does raise an interesting question because she doesn't get rebooted along with the rest of them. So she is completely apart from the bad place. She is and completely from the good place. It seems like she is her own entity. She is her own entity, but you know, I'm one of my questions is if the medium place is separate from the this neighborhood in terms of restarting, right? Does every is everything else separate or do we have other parts of the bad place that are being rebooted every time? Uh, no, surely not, because otherwise Sean would know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And it does. I, seem... My continuing question is why Michael bothers to put the flipping train station in his neighborhood in the first we place. We talked about that in our last episode. Get rid of I the know. train station. Why would you give them an opportunity to get out? 
I mean, unless that is literally the only way that Sean can visit and Michael feels like because it was there during attempt number two, he has to keep it there so that if Sean decides to make a surprise inspection, it's not like there's no such train stop as neighborhood, blah, 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 blah. But that's, I don't know, that's a pretty flimsy excuse to my mind. Or if the train has to be there, why must it, why does it have to work? Yeah, <laughs> right. Why, why is there a train? I mean... If you have if you have a Janet who can get you literally anything, why is there like an old timey steam train going in and out of this neighborhood? I mean, I like Janet, love trains, but so does um, your son. It seems like having it there is such a I don't want to say it's a plot hole, but it seems like an item that is causing so many problems for Michael. It's a liability, for sure. It's a huge liability, and it doesn't make any sense. And if you were actually in heaven, you wouldn't think anything of the fact that you weren't allowed to go anywhere else. It's heaven, right? Where else would you want to go? Where else would you want to go, man? Ugh, whatever. Okay, well... let's. I, I don't want to talk about that anymore. It just makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do something fun and talk about our favorite uh, puns from this episode. Oh... My God. So many puns. Do you want to? Are you so? Are you talking about the ones that actually appeared on the screen, or the ones that Megan Amram tweeted out? The full list. I didn't see that. So if you, oh, I I put it in the show notes. Oh, okay. So it's at the very very bottom. So you should see like, Twitter.com. I got mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with the ones in the show. Which were your faves? Biscotti Pippin. I Great. think. <laughs> I loved that. I tweeted out uh, Kanish from a rose. That was uh, Kate, <laughs> your your friend Kate's favorite one as yes. well, I believe, right? Yes. <laughs> Kanish from a rose. There was a chicken soup for the mouth. Yeah, that was that, that was a head scratcher. And then I kind of got it. You know that it's a play on uh, chicken soup for the yes. soul. Uh, hot dog on a stick on a stick. Yeah, that was a whole on a stick neighborhood. And then you saw that there was a sign that said extra sticks. Yeah. Uh, so looking at her... Her Twitter list. So this is literally over a hundred puns that she came up with. She must have, when she wrote this episode, said, there must have been something in the script that said, like, we see cycling through the sort of the main street of the neighborhood and we see the theme switch out and here are a bunch of ideas for the themes. And there are over a hundred. The pesto's yet to come. Yes. That's a great one. Um, Donut you want me, baby. (laughs) Linguini Manuel Miranda. <laughs> um, Polenta to go around. Um, the Maze Runner, but Maze with an I. Uh, toast of the Town. Ta- Some bread restaurants. Toast of the Town. Loaf of my life. One of the ones that made it in was uh, Sushi and the Banshee, right? Which is like a reference to like an 80s, I think, feminist wave band or something oh also beignet and the jets <laughs> yes oh god that, that was, so was hysterical some shrimp restaurants which is very appropriate for the show lady and the scampi a view to a quail <laughs> forever in blue cheese that's oh great my gosh money talks <laughs> megan amram please come on our show and just <laughs> i all the puns everything cheddar off ted second to why non. cheddar off Oh, she has Cheddar Off Dead and Cheddar Off Ted. Oh, she's... Okay, I get it. All right. Second to non. <laughs> a queso the Mondays. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We Chibata Zoo. 
<laughs> anyway, I think so. I don't want to read every single one of these, but um, I think that proves that Megan Amram is a mad genius. She is. And listeners, uh, once uh, another plug, if you have your own puns that you would have put in this episode, tweet at us. Let us know what they are. No, don't, because they can't be better than Megan Amram. <laughs> I'm trying to, like, cultivate some buzz around our show, okay? Uh, yeah, that's fine, I guess. I will, I will retweet that uh, list of puns uh, when I get, when I think about it, um, which will probably be as soon as the show, as soon as we're done recording, um, because I think that everyone needs to see it. And you should follow us on Twitter for that reason, so that you can get it, get notified when Megan Amram tweets out a list of amazing puns. Uh, so let's, so we're in like the final 10 minutes here, um, and we're going to get into spoiler space. And I just want to say before we do, these are very, very mild spoilers. I had the opportunity to listen to a podcast that had like real spoilers for next week. And I found that I could not pull the trigger and make myself listen to it. I wanted to be surprised with everybody else. So these spoilers are the kind of things that the actors uh, are allowed to say in press junkets. They are incredibly um, anodyne. And they're kind of riddles. And they are kind of riddles. So I'm just going to read this paragraph. This is from Entertainment Weekly. uh, And they got to speak with uh, most, I think, most of the main cast. The rest of season two's plot is being kept under wrapped, save for some cryptic clues. Kristen Bell says, transportation is the new main character. Darcy Carden says, one pierced ear. Ted Danson says, when I'm not near the one I love, I love the one I'm near. And while no reveal could top the finale's rug-pulling reversal, twists do abound, even if you think you know more than the stranded souls. Michael Schur says, Don't get cocky. You won't be ahead of the characters for too long. Kristen Bell says, Anything is possible, but winter is coming. Okay. (laughs) I think that Ted Danson's When I'm Not Near the One I Love, I Love the One I'm Near is probably a reference to him teaming up with the humans. Interesting, because I took that as an explanation of um, how Chidi and Eleanor end up together in so many iterations. But you're probably right. Because when I'm not near the one I love. Well, I'm meaning, it could mean the royal I'm, the royal me. (laughs) (laughs) Not a thing. Not a thing. But you're right. You're probably right. You know, it's, uh, what does Han Solo say? Short helps better than no help at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another example of me crushing on a guy who is, you know. We all love Han Solo. That is not unique to you. Darcy Carden's one pierced ear. I I got nothing. I literally have no idea. I mean, one pierced ear at some point 20, 30 years ago was code for being gay. But I don't think that's what she's talking about. And do we even know? I mean, pierced could mean you have a literal hoop or a stud or it could also mean an ear that's been pierced by some kind of shriek or you think it's a riddle within a riddle? i think it is i think i mean think about <laughs> you know you don't maybe they have the piercing department in the bad place okay i okay <laughs> Kristen bell's transportation is the new main character that is a lot more um intriguing to me well it's a little bit less and it goes back to our conversation about the train that makes you so angry (laughs) (laughs) angry is too strong a word but it does frustrate me um 
So I don't know if she's talking about the train or if she's talking about, you know, are there potentially going to be other ways that they are moving between good place, sorry, bad place, medium place. Um, maybe the good place. Maybe the good place. Maybe the the quote unquote real bad place. Yeah. You know? Um, well, and that's intriguing. And, that's and intriguing. speaking of transportation alternatives, you know, in the very, in the first season, in one of the first episodes, uh, they are taught how to fly. Oh, that's right. So it's possible that even if Michael does disable the train at some point, you know, somebody, Janet may remember how to fly and teach them how to fly or somebody might remember something. I get the sense that flying still limited you to the neighborhood that you were in. It seems like the train is the only sort of like approved transportation mechanism in and out. Who knows? There are no cars. That's for sure. No, there's lots of bicycles. Yeah. And uh, anything is possible, but winter is coming. Kristen Bell says. Are we going to get a haunting? Are we going to get a Game of Thrones crossover episode? <laughs> Cuz that's what that's from. If if we take Winter is Coming and Transportation, I think that logically leads me to they're all riding a zombie dragon. Hmm. Spoilers for our fictional crossover? No, spoilers for um, Game of Thrones, I guess. If you haven't seen the most recent season, which I haven't either, but it's so in the zeitgeist that I know that there's a zombie dragon. The only other thing I have for spoiler space is um, that Darcy Carden says that uh, Janet gets to have a lot more emotions in season two. Which I would love to see because Darcy Carden is killing it. She's amazing. Yeah. And I, I would like to see her sort of have some... A lot of the emotions that we've seen her have are approximating human behavior. I would love to know what it looks like for actual Janet to have actual emotions. I would love to see Janet, like, on a couch, just, like, with a pint of ice cream, just, like, crying and watching. In her boundless void. In her boundless void. (laughs) Just her boundless void only has, like, a couch and a spoon. (laughs) Do we think that she's going to get back together with Jason? That's a great... I mean, that's another part of the shipper wars, maybe. Well, it's not really a war because nobody wants Jason except her, right? I mean, there's no, there's nobody out there being like, yeah, Jason and... I hope to God there's nobody out there being like, yeah, Jason and Eleanor should get together. Or Jason and Chidi should get together. Like, no, they definitely shouldn't. Jason and Tahani, I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, just, you, you, you don't have any love for Jason whatsoever. I'm not... I'm not, I don't, it's not that I don't have any love for Jason. It's just that he's definitely a step down. He's a goober. So should we wrap it up? I think we should wrap things up for this week. Um, it was, I, I feel like we couldn't have possibly done justice to this no, episode. No, no. I, I hope that we made an attempt, but it was such an explosive and 21 minutes of television. It's crazy how short these episodes yeah. are. So we will be back for the next episode this week. It's on um, Thursdays now at 8.30. Yep, that's its permanent time slot. So we'll be back with the next episode. But uh, if you don't, by the way, if you don't have cable, NBC.com on a desktop or laptop computer, you can watch all the episodes on there. uh, Google Play also has them. In America. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is overseas. Google Play also has them. Oh, great. Uh, a couple days after. Probably iTunes as well, yeah. right? Yeah. But NBC.com is free. So you can find us 
like Brianna said, uh, at the Good Play Pod on Twitter and the Good Play on uh, Facebook. Yeah. And that is how you can get in touch yeah, with us. Yeah, we want to know what you think. We want to know what you have to say about the shipper wars and every other question, open question. That yeah, my, fr- my friend Trifton was very, um, very pleased with himself for, for calling the fact that, uh, that Michael was going to have to team up with the humans. Are we, are we signing off? Yeah. Until next time, try to uh, work out so that you can run away from the bees with teeth. All right. Ding dongs. We'll see you next time.